Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is Jason with PRI Talk. Uh, very special guest with me today, um, John Foreman from the Coaching Volleyball blog and Coaching Volleyball website. Um, if you are interested in learning more or just growing or just processing some of the stuff that you do as a coach or the sport of volleyball as a whole, then it's definitely um, a blog and a website you want to uh, check out, Coaching Volleyball. Um I had, uh, John and I have gone back and forth trying to set up a time to get on the podcast because he's always posting really uh, just relevant information about our sport um, and, and really good info. Um, and so we've, we've tried to connect a couple times and uh, he posted a blog uh, not too long ago um, that I, I messaged him right away. I was like, we have to get on. We have to talk about this because this is really good information. It's a really good perspective that we want to get. Um, I want to get out there. Um, to parents and everybody to listen to. So, uh, so this is our conversation about um, some other things and uh, specifically that blog post. So, thanks for listening. <laughs> All right, John. Well, thanks for being on with me. I really appreciate the time. I feel like we've we've uh, tried to connect a couple other times, but um, just schedules and and me forgetting probably more more than anything else. So. Um, yeah, no problem. It's good to be here. But but thanks for being on. Hey, just real quick, tell kind of everybody a little bit about you, where you coach, what you do as far as volleyball now, so they can kind of get that perspective, and then and then we'll dive into it a little bit. Okay. Well, these days I coach at Medai College, which is a D three school in Buffalo, New York, where I'm coaching both the men and the women. Okay. Uh, previously, I coached at Midwestern State, which is in Wichita Falls, Texas. That's in Division two. And I've also coached at the University of Rhode Island at Brown University, which are in Division One. Yeah. And I got my start way back years ago in JUCO. So I've been at that level as well. Uh, I coached for a few years over in England at the university level and then also coached a professional team in Sweden. Uh, so I've had some opportunities to see volleyball at a bunch of different levels. And I haven't even talked about juniors and, and stuff like that. So what's your, it's a what's pretty, your pretty mixed bag. What's your favorite level to coach so far? Um, they all have their pluses and minuses. Uh, yeah. You know, for me, the college niche is definitely the one that I found over the years makes the most sense. Uh, it it kind of comes down to what your, you know, where your personality fits in and 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 kind of the, the level of, of commitment that you need in terms of time and effort. For example, in Division Three. The, while you're in season, you basically got the same schedule as everybody else does. All the divisions in season are essentially on the same schedule. Yes. Um, now, maybe you don't travel as far as you would, you know, because the conferences aren't spread out quite as much. Yeah. Uh, but you still, you know, you got your six day a week commitment, 20 hours NCAA, you know, maximums, all that sort of stuff. The season is just a little bit shorter in D3. It's also slightly shorter in D2 than in D1. So those are a bit of adjustments. And, and the, the biggest difference is Texas, the high school season in Texas is longer than some division one pro division one schools. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's all that stuff you kind of have to factor in. And what does the off season look like? Because in division one and division two, off season is a legit thing. You know, we, they come back to school for a second semester. And pretty quick, you're into workouts and, and you know, eventually the ball, you know, ball and court training. 
Whereas in Division Three, you've got a pretty constrained offseason. In my case, I don't have any because I've got the men opposite the women. So there is no offseason, <laughs> except for when we're not in school. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it kind of kind of comes down to, hey, what's your your life situation and what what suits you in terms of you know what you enjoy to do when maybe you've got other parts of your life that are tied into this. And so. Yeah, and that's kind of the nice thing about the, the volleyball world is you can usually find a place that you're going to be able to fit in pretty well. For what you're, what, and what you're looking for, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you do uh, some some blog posts fairly regularly. I don't know. I, 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 mean, I probably don't even see all the ones that you post, honestly. Um, my the, the PRI blog goes up every Monday, uh, most of the time. <laughs> um, and, and I see your stuff get posted either on like the, the coaching volleyball Facebook page, or like I see you post it on, on yep. your page on Facebook. Um, so what, like when it comes to writing a blog for coaching and, or just volleyball in general, like what was your motivation behind doing that as a, as a college coach uh i actually started the blog in 2013 at the end of my first year coaching in england okay because i was uh, i was in exeter down in the southwest and one of the observations i kind of made was there's not a lot of like development stuff for the folks down here now volleyball england did have their levels like cap with usa volleyball uh but Aside from that, there was there was no equivalent of the ABCA, no, no regional clinics like Art of Coaching or Gold Medal Squared or Master Coaches or anything like that um, that you know was available. Uh, so I said, you know, well, let me put together this resource, you know, for for the coaches in this region. Um, not really thinking much beyond that. Sure. Just uh, let me put together some drills and some game ideas and so just general resource sort of thing. Um, then it kind of, the ABCA picked up some of the content, you know, a couple months into it. And suddenly now it's this, you know, we got people visiting from all over the world and with a relatively short period of time, they're like, well, okay, I probably have to take this a little bit more intently and seriously than I did. Um, so now at this point, so we're what, almost eight years in, which is hard to even fathom at this stage. Yeah. And it's something like 1300 posts. And I'm getting, uh, I think this, this year is actually looking really strong traffic-wise. But the last few years have averaged just about a quarter million page views a year, over 100,000 visitors uh, nice. you know, a year, which for you know, a little coaching blog is pretty kind of kind of crazy. But well, I, well, I think it, you do a good job of keeping them pretty short and sweet, which I, which I think is helpful. Yeah. I, I, I try to keep my blogs like less than five minutes because I'm like, I can't even write a five minute blog. That's really hard for me. <laughs> I don't want people to read a five minute blog. Right. So, um, yeah, I, so, so you had written one um, and I don't, I mean, depending on when people are listening to this uh, just recently, just in the last week um, that I was like, I, I mean, I grabbed onto it right away. I was like, yes, like we need, some some metrics and we need to to get this in front of um, parents and athletes because they need to understand this perspective and and the 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 purpose of the blog or the point of the blog was was measuring kind of the different um divisions and and how they compare and it's something that 
you know, I always said a division two coach, and I'm sure you said this as well. Um, I even said it as division one coach, uh, <laughs> that there's, there's division two programs out there that can beat us. And, you know, we, when I was division two coach, I'm like, there's division one programs that we could go out and beat. And there were probably some division three programs that could, that could turn around and, and beat us as a division two school. And so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of parents, um, assume a lot and there's a lot of myths about kind of the different levels um i i even had a parent ask me one time um jason are all the division one coaches better coaches than the division two coaches and i'm like no like there's not no not even not even true uh there's some really really fantastic division two coaches and there's some great division three coaches obviously um Mm -hmm. and so but there's just that kind of mindset of division one is the best um, and then division two is not as, not as good. And division three is, is bad volleyball. Right. That's, I mean, that's right. at, at least, at least here in, in kind of where, where I'm at, that tends to be the, the general mindset, not everyone obviously, but, um, but that tends to be the general mindset. So you, so you had this, this blog post kind of comparing, ranking the different divisions. Um, why don't, why don't you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, I've been doing some research, just broadly speaking, on uh, on what things kind of correlate to success, kind of in terms of winning your league. So what statistics correlate to having a better win percentage in your conference or whatever? And so one of the things that I was kind of trying to um, factor into all this was, well, you know, what's the difference between the divisions? Because I was looking at NCAA data. And, you know, as a, as a data analyst, because um, I've got a PhD and this was an academic type of study, yeah. you, you know, you got to try to account for different variables and things like stuff that might influence your findings. So I was kind of taking a look at, well, you know, what, is there any difference between the NCAA divisions that I might need to account for as I'm going through this? And so I said, well, right, how, well, how can we kind of try to differentiate the divisions if, if we go off the assumption, which is not an unreasonable assumption, that there are different skill levels. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that's the solely the difference, because clearly it isn't, because there's also the physical element to it, because yeah. you can you can be 5'8 and extremely skilled, but not be in Division One because you lack the physical element to be able to, to compete at that level. Um, and I'm sure we'll get you know more into that. But so, so I was taking a look at it. All right. If we take the skill side of it and we do make a skill assumption that one is generally higher than two, two is generally higher than three, and accepting that there's going to be overlaps, then how can we kind of come up with an assessment of, of how different they might be? And so my first thought was, well, just kind of on a general observation, I would expect more earned points mm-hmm. among the higher divisions. So more aces, more kills, more blocks. Yeah. Then then would be the case for the lower level divisions because in the lower level divisions, you would expect more points from errors. Sure. Whether it's reception errors or attacking errors or you know whatever the case may be. So that was kind of the the basic analysis point. And that's the graph and the, the the first graph in the chart in, in that blog that you talked about, which is basically looking at on a set average of how many earned points a team would have over the course of their season. 
and you know, and it it shows up as yeah, okay, on average, Division One teams score more or you know earn more points than Division Two teams, and and Division Two teams more than Division Three. But it also highlights the fact that there's a huge amount of overlap. Yeah, and that you can really only kind of say that it's about the top third of Division One that are clearly better than Division Two. And it's about the top third of Division Two that's clearly better than Division Three. So it's true that okay, the best teams in Division Two probably aren't going to be competitive with the the you know the top twenty five teams yeah. in Division yeah. One, but they're going to beat a lot of teams in Division sure. One head up. And there's a fairly the small the Division One does have the narrowest range. In, in this gap and division three does have the widest range which reflects you have you definitely have a, a much more diverse set of of talent in division three yeah. because you 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 capture um, a much bigger variety of school types i think you've got big institutions public universities all the way down to tiny little private schools and you know and that's going to make a huge difference in terms of the type of you know student athletes they have and and what's available to them and how, you know all the all those factors that go into eventual competitiveness yeah but it's it just goes to like you you made the point earlier clearly there's overlap yeah and we can't just say one is better than two and two are better than three because it's way more nuanced than that well i mean i i've and it's been this way for a number of years tampa division two school in florida has they've won mm-hmm. several national championships over the last uh, decade for sure even I mean within the last five years definitely um, I mean they're a division two school in Florida that I, I I can think of a couple of division one schools off the top of my head that probably wouldn't really want to play them you know what I mean yeah, um, yeah. just just uh, I mean Tampa's got a big physical roster and, and mm-hmm. how they how they've built that is is story for another podcast and, and then you go and you look at um, kind of the other the other spectrum of Division Two that's won several uh, national championships. Um, when you talk about the the Minnesota schools and the the yeah. Sunshine um, Conference and, and that area up there, I mean those those yeah, programs that's, are, are that's a beast of a conference. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a beast of a region uh, for sure. Um, but I mean it, th- those those teams and those programs. Um, you know, are, are, are more physical, um, probably more skilled than, than a, a big chunk of, of division one programs, um, for sure. And, and so it's, it's kind of finding that, that, that balance. Um, what, uh, you, you said, you said kind of, uh, about, about a third, um, right. separated everyone or were you able to go in and kind of, um I figure things out by like more specifically by conference and kind of where those lines sit at all or is that not something that you dove too much into um you know it's not something that i specifically reported in the post itself uh, i mean i i could see it at the conference level mm-hmm. and and actually one of the things that that i i, I want to look at at some point is kind of and this is kind of motivated by this year in that we had very little, if any, uh, interconference competition this year yeah. to to try to derive reasonable rankings and seedings. Sure. So uh, you know, I was 
thinking about, well, could we use these sorts of metrics as a as at least a starting point to say, okay, well, if you've got at least 15 kills per set, then you're most likely to be one of the top 35 teams in the country or something along those lines. And clearly there are conferences where, you know, they don't, they never fit that criteria. They're just not that strong. And other conferences are going to breeze through that, you know, no problem whatsoever. I mean, the power five are called the power five for a reason. For a reason. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, it's, you even look at the weaker teams in those conferences and go, yeah, they're still way better than most of the, the rest of the teams in, this, in the division. Yeah. And, and even in division two, you know, I experienced this when I was at MSU, we were on the lower part of the Lone Star Conference, but we were still, we, we ranked, if you use the Pablo rankings, we were ranked somewhere around a hundred in the country, which means we would beat most of the rest of division two. Too. Even yeah. though we felt like we were a bad team in our conference, <laughs> it's just you know, it's it's yeah, it's like being you know Purdue some years when they haven't been particularly strong in the Big Ten. Where okay, their RPI might have been forty, yeah, and, and there's like three hundred teams worse than that in Division One, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it, I think we can we could probably point out just. You know, if we we look through the list of, of conferences and go, yeah, okay, that's that conference is one of the weaker ones. Yeah, that's one of the stronger ones. And it, clearly, there's there has been movement. It's not it's not so it's much not, year over that's year. Stagnant every year. That, right. that's, that's the same. I mean, there was. Right. I I mean, I kind of I I really like the CAA. I think the CAA is a really strong Division One conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're looking at conferences outside of the Power Five, like they've got to be. Um, or you know, I mean, they used to be for sure one of those conferences that should be at least uh, take the Power Five out of it. Like they've got to be one of the best conferences in the country. Right. Um, and maybe that's not true now, but it was true, you know, three years ago for mm-hmm. sure, or maybe four years ago, something like that. Um, I, I year to year, I forget where we're at at this point. But yeah, um, I, I think I think things probably don't change a lot from one year to the next. Yeah. But there are definitely cycles, you know, uh, programs will get strong over the course of a few years, like, like the Big East right now. It's a pretty strong conference. Yeah. You've got good teams that can represent that conference in the tournament now. Five years ago, would we have said that? Not as much. Ten years ago, for sure. You know, it, you know, every once in a while, one of their teams would do pretty well. But a lot of times they would, okay, they're they're – better teams would make the tournament but not really have any impact yeah so yeah just that evolution is just another interesting aspect of how this all plays out for sure you you mentioned the the pablo rankings uh what's what explain that a little bit for for all of us that don't really know or pay attention yeah that's uh, that's over on richkern.com um and i'm I'm not going to claim to be an expert it's it's an algorithmic sort of thing uh, similar to the RPI in, right. in at least theoretical conception. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's, but it's more based on matchups. So okay. this team played that team. This was the result. And what does that mean about how this team is likely to rank compared to other teams? It's, it's, it's kind of a, an idea of, of trying to say, we have these two teams. What would we expect to happen if they play each other? Yeah. You know, 
So each team, based on their results, is given a point score. And the differential in point scores between any two teams kind of gives you an indication of the expected outcome. Okay, interesting. So, it's yeah. And that's, that's a little bit different than RPI, at least. I mean, I feel like... I mean, right, yeah, because RPI is based on overall record and you know, strength of schedule. Basically, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So Pablo actually gets into the actual results uh, on a max like who, level. Who beat who? Right. Kind of kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, because yeah, if you were to go to Rich Kern and and you can look in and actually see on any team's schedule who they've played, is that a good win? Is that a bad loss? Yeah. That sort of thing in terms of how it impacts their their rankings overall. Yeah. So, you know, and I actually in that blog post that you mentioned, I I use that as a comparative point against what I've got. And it's, it, it jives pretty well. Um, sure. There is, his stuff is probably a little bit tighter than mine in terms of maybe it's more like a quarter overlap versus a third overlap or something along those lines. And it's not quite so spread out, but you could still see the, the basic idea there as well. well. What would be your suggestion um, cause you've coached at different levels and this is something that I talk, uh, a little bit about, um, well, I probably talk about it a lot. Uh, what would, what would be your suggestion? And just my, my thought has always been just because an athlete can play at a certain level doesn't necessarily mean that they should. Um, and, and I said this a couple weeks ago on my podcast, um, cause I was talking about the portal and there's 900 and, uh, Last time someone told me there were 960 kids in the portal. Um, a lot of those are, are one-year kids, obviously, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but And there's a lot of variables uh, that mm-hmm. go into athletes wanting to transfer, so I'm not, not trying to knock um, transfers uh, generally. Um, but but on, on kind of a, this idea of, of an athlete can play at a certain level, it doesn't necessarily mean that they should play at that level or at that school like there's right. there's situations that are that are bad fits for kids yep. um yep. at personality wise uh between what they what they want to accomplish and what they want to do and, and 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 obviously the personality matchup between them and their coach we get we get new coaches but but what what would be your kind of thought on um uh after coaching at different levels, what would be your thought on athletes if they're trying to choose between a division one school, a division two school or division two, or maybe NAIA division three type of situation? Like what would be, what maybe what would be your advice or thought process that you would want them to go through to kind of make the best um, decision that they, that they could? Right. Yeah, I think you you touched on it in there in terms of at the, ultimately what you should always be doing is looking for the best situation for you. Now, if you have the physical tools as a key starting point yeah. and the ambition to play on the national team, then you're going to be trying to go power five because that's flat out. That's the way you, you want to go. There aren't a lot of players in the national team pool who didn't go that route. <laughs> but you also, you know, you need to be realistic about your situation. You know, are you a 5'8 outside hitter? 
sorry, your your chances of making the national team are almost non-existent. Sure. At the, in this day and age. Yeah. So somebody needs to have a conversation with that person saying, okay, maybe you can still go on and play professionally somewhere. Uh, but playing for Team USA, eh, those players are 6'2". You know, it's, you're, you've got some major, major, major shortcomings here. Now, if you're not in that group and you're basically everybody else, <laughs> then you find the situation that makes the most sense for you. Um, and, you know, okay, there's, a, there's more understanding there that there are professional playing opportunities now, mm. um, which, there were, you know, 10 years ago, people weren't really thinking about that a heck of a lot. Yeah. But there's tons of American players playing in Europe and elsewhere. Yeah. And if that's something you want to do, you don't have to go Power 5 to do that. Sure. There are players from a bunch of different levels that are currently playing in Europe and elsewhere. Uh, yeah, some of them are Power 5. When I coached in Sweden, I had a, a player from Clemson and two players from Washington State. Okay, that was great. But there are also division two players over there upper level division three players over there lower level division one players a uh, bunch of canadian players so uh, division isn't necessarily a requirement conference isn't necessarily a requirement there uh so you know what's obviously you know what do you want to do after college you know career-wise that is going to influence things especially if you have a, a fairly specialized major that you're looking for yeah you got to find the schools that have it. Sure. Uh, what kind of school do you want to go to? Where in the country do you want it to be? Uh, what kind of just experience do you want to have in college? Uh, what's the financial considerations in all this? Uh, because some people think that, you know, a getting an athletic scholarship is, is, is kind of answers the problem. But in a lot of cases, you can get a better financial deal that in Division Three with no, where there are no athletic scholarships, or if you're in Division Two or NAI, where maybe you get a partial, but you get a bunch of merit stuff yeah. and other grants and and whatever. Um, so, you know, if you're not in a situation to get a full ride, then don't assume that you have to go D two as your next option, because financially d3 might end up making more sense for you and your family uh, so those on, are on the school and the situation yep. and yeah 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 exactly and it's i i got asked when i was over in england you know what schools should we should we send players to We're talking to somebody who was on the on the national training staff yeah. what schools should we send players to like that is an impossible question to answer do you know how many schools there are in the United States? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if you start telling me, okay, what's the kid interested in? What kind of, what size of school are they interested? Do yeah. they want to be coastal? Do they like cold weather, hot weather? You know, give me something to work with and I could start helping you narrow it down. But lots of variables. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, and 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 I I mean I have this conversation and 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 in some ways, I mean maybe I, I shouldn't. I, I de definitely don't want to want to push kids away from playing <clears throat> volleyball in college. But I think having that realistic conversation of like you said, if you're five eight, but you've always wanted to go to school at Baylor or or you know, whatever, you don't you don't meet the fil the skill set or the physicality. Like mm -hmm. there there's there's nothing saying that you can't still go to school at Baylor. 
Like if that's right. where you want to go to school. Right. Yeah. Uh, and but, and but there the are a lot of club programs out there. Yeah. I, you want to keep playing volleyball. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 um, or, or, you know, coach in a club, you know what I mean? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot of ways for you to still be involved with, with the sport, um, which, you know, when I got out of coaching, like, you know, starting, starting this, um, the, the recruiting piece was kept me involved in a sport that I love and where I have right. all the connections and know all the people and still understand what the crap is going on <laughs> with everything. Because <laughs> um, a lot of people were like, are you going to try to do other sports? And I was like, no, like, I, I don't know anything about other sports and I don't know any other coaches in other sports. Right. Um, and so this, this makes the most sense. But like, if you, if you want to go to school, Arkansas or Alabama or Baylor or Clemson or, you know, Wake Forest and, and you can't play volleyball there, you can, you can still go to school there. Like that's, yeah. that's not, um, I, I hate that in some ways volleyball tends to be like this crossroads for kids where mm-hmm. it's like, well, I, I have to continue playing uh, club volleyball so that I can play volleyball in college. Um, and then, you know, that the, the athlete ends up going to a school and they're, they're not happy because they picked a school where they could play volleyball at. Yeah. And they transfer to the school they always wanted to go to anyway, and they're not playing volleyball anymore. Right. Um, and, and there's just, there's a lot of different variables and a lot of different scenarios and, and, and picking the right situation and the best fit. And, um, you know, for, for you, if that's to play in the power five, great. If it's not to play in the power five, that's okay too. Yep. Um, there's a, there's a lot of successful um, people out there that played at all levels. Um, I've, I'm working on getting some of my former players on the podcast and talking about, you know, their experience playing, um, and, and, you know, what they're doing now and they're all Mm -hmm. have careers, have families, some started their own businesses and they seem to be doing just fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and one, one of the things to, to think about in here is, you know, as a player, I came through boys and men's volleyball and I, I mean, this is archaic times at this stage. And, but if you think there's not much men's volleyball right now, then it was even worse back in those days. Sure. So you had little choice but to pick the school that was you know, the best fit for you based on the school, not on volleyball, and then join up the, with the, the club program that there was there or start one if they didn't have one yeah. and get some other guys playing or go play out on the, on, on the, the grass circuit or on the beach circuit, or if, I mean, that's the nice thing about our sport. There's so many different ways to play it. Play, yeah. Just because you go to a school and you're not on the team there, if that's ends up being the best decision for you, doesn't mean you have to stop playing volleyball. Yeah. Lots of other things that you can, that you can do um, for, for that, for that quote unquote college experience. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the way, there are schools in England that would, I'm sure recruit Americans to come play there. That's so, so <laughs> let me ask you about that. Is, is that because my perspective, and again, I'm, I, I haven't even, I've, I've had uh, several players play overseas. One of my assistant coaches is still overseas. Um, she's not playing anymore, um, but her husband is coaching, I think, still or going to school or something okay. for specifics, but had several players go and play overseas. Um, some had a really good experience. Some had not a great experience, um, which is, you know, again, it's not. It's, it's different. Um, right. 
than than the college volleyball experience. Mm -hmm. So, yep. um, um, but it is so from my perspective, um, there there's really only like grad school opportunities to play overseas or professional opportunities to play overseas. Are there like if I, some sort of undergrad degree? Can I can I do that from high school and go overseas and play? I, yeah, I don't know. you you actually could. Awesome. Um, and like in the UK, they have water, water. Well, okay. Just on the, on the basis of it in the UK, they have a, a kind of a rough NCAA equivalent called bucks. Okay. It's, uh, British universities and colleges of sports, something like that. Um, not nearly as many rules as the NCAA. So maybe NAIA is a little bit better comparison yeah. on that basis, but structurally the same sort of concept. Sure. Uh, and everything there is run club basis. So it's it's heavily in most cases kind of student driven. Mm -hmm. So if you go to hey, if you get into Oxford or you go to Cambridge, volleyball clubs there that compete intercollegiately. Okay. They also oftentimes will compete either in the National League, which is a separate competition that's sponsored by Volleyball England. It's kind of like an extension of USAV. Mm -hmm. Or there are also regional leagues or city leagues. Like when I was at Exeter, uh, our teams played in the Exeter City League uh, and the better teams played in the regional league around the Southwest of England, which was uh, not, not really division, it's not part of volleyball England per se, but it's kind of imagine if the Lone Star you know, region was running kind of a, you know, their own adult volleyball. Okay. Yeah. Something along those lines. So even if you went to a college and this applies basically almost every, everywhere in the world that I could think of, you can go to a university overseas and there's probably going to be a volleyball club in that city or town or whatever, or even if it's not necessarily affiliated directly with the college, there is, there'll be a volleyball something because there are leagues that just everywhere. Yeah. So you could end up in, I don't know, Amsterdam where maybe they don't have a, a a college team per se at a university in Amsterdam, but there's most definitely clubs based there. And outside of the US, clubs tend to be from youth up to adult mm -hmm. and sometimes right up into professional ranks. Yeah. So you could find yourself on a division two team somewhere in Germany or Belgium or something like that, playing pretty good volleyball uh, on a most likely the schedule is not going to be as, as intense as, as uh, NCAA, at least for the, for the, the season window, but their seasons are longer, usually like in October to, to March or April type of thing. So it's a bit yeah. more spread out. Um, in the UK, they do have what they call performance programs. And it's kind of a, a, a revolving list not revolving but it, schools come kind of in and out of it from time to time so i you know i can't give you an ex, an exhaustive list of who's on there now i mean i can the ones that i know for sure right now university of essex university of east london uh, durham which is up north i believe nottingham is in there uh who else warwick i think was on that list northumbria it's not as not what they used to be, but I believe they're still in there. So, and there's there's a few others. And if you do your research, you can find out what they are. And I've, I've actually blogged about it on my my site as well. Okay, that, that's what I was um, going to ask. Like, ask next, where 
like if, if people are interested in doing this post I mean, like going to school overseas mm -hmm. and interested in getting involved in there, where would people go to get this this kind of information? Yeah, the, the, I know for those who are, are thinking of it from a grad, grad school perspective, which tends to be the bigger number yes. of Amer US and Canadian players, yeah. then uh, the couple of services, the, the one that I think has been doing it for the longest is Team Glees. Uh, so it's team and then G-L-E-A-S, I believe is, is the last part of it. Uh, she's a former division, I believe, division one volleyball player. She's actually from Buffalo or at right. least uh, in my area. Um, she works with a lot of schools over there to place athletes and not just in volleyball. I think they cover a lot of different sports at this stage. So they're oftentimes, you know, reasonable scholarships. It's not a full ride sort of situation. So you got to kind of go into it expecting that. But uh, you know, it can be a substantial chunk of at least your tuition, um, and and I believe there may also be money available at the undergraduate level. I don't know if if the services operate quite as much at that level because it's it's a smaller percentage of of who's out there. Yeah. But you know, that's actually a question I needed to ask my my friend Alex at Essex, and you know, would he actually you know have scholarship money for Americans that Perfect. would come over? He would. He would. You know, if you're good enough to, to make his team, he would take you for sure. sure. If you got into Essex and you want to get on the volleyball team, he'd be happy to have you if you if you have the talent. Whether or not he could give you any money, I I can't. I, I'm not going to commit to saying yeah, he could. Yeah, no, totally. No, I it, it's such a it, it's such a um, you know like my my assistant that that ended up playing overseas for a number of years. Like I don't, I she might have wanted to before before this but it wasn't until um just uh, another another college coach at a tournament that was that remembered coaching against her while she was playing and she mm -hmm. was uh, our grad assistant at the time um was just like hey are you gonna go play overseas because you should and that and I, like that yeah. like i don't she had done zero research before right. that you know what i right. mean um yeah. had had maybe thought of hey this would be cool to go do yeah. didn't really like put a whole lot of thought or time or energy into it and then mm -hmm. like that moment was like hey i i would love to at least try you know right um, yeah and she ended up like going coming back and going back again yeah um, and, and really enjoyed uh that that kind of lifestyle and, and all that and enjoyed still playing i mean she was yeah she still had the itch you know what i mean um yeah and, and think for a lot of kids like they don't they, they don't think about it. It's not something that's on their mind. They think professional mm -hmm. volleyball, only like those 12 girls that are on the USA team type of type of thing. And so they don't right. definitely something they don't even think about. So, yeah. Yeah. As we said, it, it used to be, I think if you asked most girls going to college 10 years ago, you know, it, it, does professional volleyball even exist? They probably wouldn't even be able to say yes. Yeah. But there's there's been an increasing amount of exposure now. Part of it because of the national team, but also, you know, we've had more players go to England. We've had more players go to Europe, and as they filter back in and are able to talk with people who are you know in the current generation of players, the stories go around, and so they 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 see the opportunities a lot more now. And of course, technology makes it easier for them to connect with with scouts or agents and things like that. Yeah, no, for sure. Very cool. 
Hey, well, I, uh, John, I really appreciate the time. Um, yeah. The your volley, it's not a volley blog. Your volleyball <laughs> blog. What what is that called? Where can people go to get it? Because um, I, I mean, I think coaches. You've got info in there for for coaches, players, parents. That I think is all is all really beneficial. Um, where where can people go to to get that that blog? Yeah, the blog is at coachingvb.com. Um, so it's just coaching volleyball. And then the, you referenced earlier, uh, I've got a page on Facebook, coaching volleyball, and then a, a coaching volleyball group. So they're all kind of tied in together. All, all in together. So, awesome. Yeah, well, you could you could find me there. Great. Hey, well, I, I appreciate the time. Um, I we we definitely need to with with your info that you're putting in the blog. We try. I need to make this a more regular thing if we if we can and get your you're taking input because I think, you know, you, you coaching at a bunch of different levels and a bunch of different places just helps add some, some perspective into everything. So, so thanks for your time. I really, yeah, thanks for really having appreciate me. It. I'll make, I'll make sure those links are in the, in the, um, the, the, the podcast info. So people, so people can, can find it. So thanks. All right. Sounds good. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you would like more tips, updates, or recruiting assistance, go to my website, privolleyball.com. Check out my blog or reach out to me directly if you have any other questions. You can also find me on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Parallel Recruiting Initiative. If you need specific recruiting help, I have a couple different ways I can help you. Please reach out to me on my website or social media. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you have found this podcast interesting, helpful, or beneficial, or you're just a huge fan of myself, then please think about donating to the PRI Talk podcast. I would love to continue bringing you recruiting advice, as well as information on current and volleyball events, and your support can definitely help make that happen.